Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a, a really amazing episode, you know, ahead of us. Uh, obviously, this one is special for me, as uh, many of you know. I'm a father of identical twin girls, so obviously, you know, uh, very inspiring what what those twins, you know, are doing with their company. Very remarkable. We're going to be talking about building, scaling, uh, financing, uh, talking about how they started bootstrapping the company, how they really demonstrated the unit economics and how that they led them to, 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 to go into the VC route and raising money from VCs, uh, really how they went about product market fit and uh, many other uh, interesting things that are going to be making this episode super inspiring. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Daniel, and then also Leah cohen Shohet. Welcome to the show. Hey, Alejandro. Thanks so much for having us. So originally born and obviously, you know, you both grew up there in Florida. So how was life growing up? Uh, Danielle, maybe you can you can walk us through that and then Leah, feel free to, to expand. Yeah. So we were born and raised in Florida and I thought we had a really wonderful childhood. We had parents that always encouraged us to think really big and be excellent in every single thing we were doing. And both of us were able to explore so many different areas of interest. And I feel like that was really formative for doing the thing that we're doing today. So no complaints on the childhood side, except it went all too fast. And Leah, how was the dynamics too of being identical twin girls and growing up and 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 also the the personalities that both of you have? Because even though you both are identical twins. You're also very different when it comes to personalities, right? And and I find that when it comes to identical twins, people tend to make the mistake of of looking, you know, at at the twins as as a as a one thing instead of like really separate individuals. So how was how were the, those dynamics say, for you guys, Leah? Yeah. So you definitely have a front row seat at this, I can imagine, and and you hit the nail on the head there. Look, in terms of the dynamics, I think it took us some time to find what our own unique strengths were and how we're actually going to work together and, and be better for being together. But I can remember having, I think, my my best friend by my side for most of childhood, which was the awesome thing about being an identical twin and growing up together. And then at times, my worst enemy as well, because some of the fights would be pretty bad. But overall, I think we we learned a lot from each other and we benefited tremendously from each other's presence. And, you know, Danielle mentioned, I think, having like a pretty unique and awesome childhood. I'd say one of those things that did get developed in us were some of those unique traits. So Danielle herself being super creative and artistic, she was always out doing different activities that would cater to those traits. And I was always out doing different activities that would cater a little bit more to like my analytical and methodical side. So I think we did get a chance both to spend a lot of time together as twins, but also develop our own unique traits, too. One other thing, Alejandro, that's pretty interesting as I reflect on our childhood and being twins is that individually, we're both really competitive people. And when I think about our childhood together, 
it's interesting to think if that was bred by having the twinship in front of us where there was someone who was very similar to you in terms of strengths and was always there to just kind of be a benchmark and a frame of reference for what great looked like. So I thought about that a bunch and that was an interesting part too, to think through, um, you know, our twinship growing up. And even now we've kind of made it one of the best things about us that we're still very competitive people, but no doubt it could be related to us having been twins. Well, one thing that is also super interesting here is that you've done things in parallel, right? I mean, you eventually decided to go and, and study economics, both of you, but then also you both landed at the same university. So Leah, how did this happen? <laughs> I wish I could say we planned it, but the truth is, is that we had applied to the same schools. We didn't know what the decisions would be at the time. And we both wanted to go to the same school for almost the same reasons. And I guess at, at that point in time, it became inevitable that the two of us got to go to the same university. And, uh, and I know there as well that uh, during the time at the university, you know, it was one of your biggest setbacks, you know, fortunately with the, um, with the passing uh, of your father, uh, and, uh, and, and how that also uh, shaped you up uh, as human beings uh, as well. Danielle, can you, can you walk us through this? Yeah, so Leah and I, as you mentioned, both went to the, the same college. We were at Princeton. When we got to Princeton, we had got unfortunate news that our father had a terminal illness. This was our freshman year. And what would normally be a pretty exciting time and one that hopefully is full of exploration and discovery for most freshman students was, I guess, in some ways set back by a really, really difficult personal event with the news of our father, who we were both extremely close to. And, you know, I think looking um, with the benefit of hindsight and, and after years of reflection on this, it was an extremely formative experience for both of us. And, you know, I think looking at having to go through a setback like that, someone we were so close to, who's like the patriarch of our family. And now some of the setbacks, even day to day you encounter in the startup journey, there is something there in terms of the resilience that it shaped us with. And probably one of the most formative things I've ever had to deal with. And, and in some way, the biggest setback I will have ever had to experience in my life. Leah, how was that team? Uh of a turning point too for you guys, you know, at a, at a perspective worldview level, because it ended up making you both stronger. Uh, no, uh, such a, such a unfortunate, you know, event and, and like this, as Daniel was, uh, was alluding to ultimately, you know, uh, you got the summa cum laude from, from a university like Princeton, one of the most renowned institutions out there. So it's pretty amazing how you guys came out on top and, and also how both of you landed in Goldman Sachs, mm -hmm. the same institution again. Yeah. So with regard to a turning point, I mean, look, you could curse the darkness or light a candle. And I think this was a period of time where we both chose and wanted to light a candle and focus on the future and focus on the things that we were excited about and brought a lot of life and energy and fulfillment to us and hopefully to others as well. So I think that with, you know, as Danielle mentioned, I think that was really how this experience shaped me. When I think about the loss of our father and a really big setback at, um, during college at Princeton, I felt like it made it that much more important to make the 
the rest of the college experience that much, just kind of make the most of the rest of the years there. Um, freshman year was super, super tough. And so it really hit us around having lost our father at the end of freshman year, basically, that there's only a few more years left in college. And now we can, in a very unconstrained way, pursue a lot of areas of opportunity and make the most of our experience there in college, given it was a little bit more difficult to do that during freshman year. So I'd say there was a lot more intention too, when I think about the remaining years in college to make the most of it. And that was a really important thing we did because I think on the whole, the entire period of college was a very formative experience for us. So both of you ended up going to uh, Goldman Sachs. And uh, and that was, you know, a pretty interesting, you know, point in time for both of you, because obviously this was the most immediate step, you know, obviously for Daniel to 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 make the leap of faith and 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 really get going with Glorious Genius. But then also it was uh, the most immediate uh, step too for Leah to to experience the uh, venture world, no, because there was a spinoff there with Symphony, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and I'm wondering like how was that experience for you too of uh, of being involved with a company like Symphony, which uh, you know has grown pretty rapidly, raised a ton of money. I mean, we even had uh, David uh, Gurley also on the on the show for those that are listening that would love to learn about that. But I guess what kind of visibility would you say that gave you into the world of uh, venture? Yeah, uh, look, so my time at Symphony was awesome. I learned a lot and I loved working with David, huge fan of his. And with regard to what kind of visibility it gave me into venture, I'd say the, the the journey that we set out for was, you know, the two of us had this payments, digital receipts, point of sale startup in college. We really wanted to pursue an entrepreneurial journey. And this, this time at Goldman first allowed me to understand how venture worked and what do management companies get evaluated on and how do you grow a good company and what are the metrics you need to have and all that other stuff. And then, of course, turning over to Symphony, that was really my time to start to learn the mechanics and operations of how a startup scales. How do you go from, you know, pre-seed, zero dollars of funding, scaled up to several hundred employees, you know, tens of millions in revenue um, in a very short amount of time? So I think those two experiences helped me get a fuller picture of what life as an entrepreneur would be like, both on the investing as well as the operating side. So, Daniel, for you, you know, being there, Goldman Sachs, 2000, around 2014, how does the uh, thought of, uh, you know, venturing into the unknown, how did that come up? It was scary, but exciting at the same time. And if I think about Goldman Sachs, the experience I got there, one of the best parts about it was that I was surrounded with really exceptional, super commercial people. And so I deeply appreciate that experience from the firm. And it kind of gave me a great foundation to think about other, you know, commercially driven opportunities. It would be very exciting to me. And when it came time to thinking about next steps after Goldman, like I said, it was scary, but it was one of these things that I just kind of went headfirst in. There was, as Leah mentioned, a digital receipts point of sale startup that we had both worked on in college. I was also really interested in the beauty industry, having done makeup artistry in college as a side hustle. And so I already kind of had an area of interest, which was beauty and payments. And when you kind of fast forward to having um, the opportunity to leave Goldman, uh, it's no surprise that I started Gloss Genius, which is a beauty payments uh, software company. So that was kind of, um, you know, interesting how it all came together. But one of the things that I felt like helped me was just 
pursuing my passion and being a little bit fearless as well about it, which was ultimately um, the beginning of something really great. So, Leah, at what point does the uh, the idea of you joining forces again? Because, I mean, at this point, you were separated from Daniel, from being in the same institution, you know, for for a couple of years, right? Especially during, you know, your time at Symphony. But at what point does the thought of, hey, I'm 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 coming with you on this, Daniel? Yes. When did that so happen? We had been talking about it since day one, actually. And this was something that I'd always been close to, involved in behind the scenes, spending time with Danielle on, you know, with with all of the the extra time that I did have. So we'd been talking about it literally since day one. You know, I think when things really got real for us was when it was time to start scaling the company. And so I joined before we started scaling the company and I saw all the amazing progress we had made, the things we were doing with customers. It was really inspiring to me and I was super excited about you know, the things that we could continue to do for customers. And I guess we we made a perfect match at that time. So, Daniel, for the people that are listening to really get it, what ended up being Gloss Genius? What's the business model there and how do you guys make money? For sure. So, Gloss Genius is a software payments company. We make software and payment solutions for self-care businesses like salons, spas, studios, and we basically help them manage and grow their operations. So when you think about everything one of these types of businesses might need, like online presence management or client relationship management, payments, booking, marketing, and basically everything else that goes into running a business, that's what we do. Um, one of the other things that's really interesting about it as well is that when you think about the challenge that many of these businesses have too, they're all basically using workflows that are really disconnected. A lot of business owners spend so much time, they lose a bunch of information and productivity, and it kind of keeps them back from achieving great things and bringing everything together and offering more automation. Um, what Gloss Genius really is, is a product and platform that's enabling more local entrepreneurs to succeed. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. 
So in this case, Leah, uh, during the early days, um, you all bootstrapped the operation. But eventually it was all about demonstrating that there were solid uh, unit economics and then deciding that uh, it was about time to activate the VC path. So what did that demonstration, what did that validation phase of those unit economics look like? Mm -hmm. So it started first with the, the qualitative validation. And that was just because sheer size of numbers, but some very early qualitative demonstration, we had customers that were not just giving us raving reviews about the product, but evangelizing the product in really meaningful ways. Yeah, I remember one early anecdote from this period was we had a customer who had decided to dye their hair gloss genius colors. Mind you, our colors aren't super flattering for most folks, pink and yellow and a gradient of orange. And she was talking about how much she loved her software that helped her manage her business and the new clients that she was able to get from it. So we started to see just the, these qualitative slivers of validation in increasing amounts. And then at, after some time, you have to start looking more at like the numbers and the volume of, of what you're getting. And I think the things that mattered for us were first, the customer success we were seeing on the platform, our customers coming in. Are they able to manage their business and save time from manual operations, but also grow their business? How many more appointments? How many more clients are they getting? What does their book of business look like? So can we as a platform deliver that value? We started to see healthy metrics there. And then secondly, on the acquisition side, we started to see healthy metrics around acquisition of new customers, but also the economics of that acquisition. What does our payback look like? And you know, at the time it was too early to start doing LTV calculations, but the cost of the customer acquisition was something we paid close attention to, to make sure that we were able to always invest profitably in our next set of next wave of growth. So to sum up, you know, we looked both for these qualitative data points, were customers evangelizing, were they having success with the platform, were those paired with quantitative data points that supported customer success and how they were growing their business. And of course, how we could grow sustainably as well as, as a business of our own. One other thing I'll touch on there, Alejandro, too, on the topic of super solid unit economics, if you think about even the earlier customers we had and the cost of serving them and how you could take that much farther out as you got more and more customers, there were positive unit economics from a very early point in the company's journey. And there are many startups out there that have negative unit economics. And even as companies get larger, each customer they acquire becomes more unprofitable to serve. And we kind of had the opposite approach where we you know, thought, hey, if we create a product that can stand by itself, we obviously are going to prove out so much more, so much faster and get the business in a much better place um, sooner. And I think that will help us with a lot of capital efficiency and fundamentally doing a much better job reinvesting back into customers at a much more efficient pace. So that was extremely important early on. And we we really stayed close to making sure that everything we were doing allowed us to reinvest back into customers much better and faster so we could ultimately help them succeed more with more powerful software, uh, more functionality, um, a great value we were offering for them, and so on and so forth, that I think has become a hallmark of our company now. So just to double-click on this, Daniel, uh, how was that the activation of the VC or the venture capital path like? I guess uh, before even going into that, you know, to really capture the, um, the total amount there, how, how much have you all raised to date? 
We've raised close to $75 million to date. And by the time we raised our first institutional round, the company had already had pretty meaningful traction. Uh, Certainly, venture capital has helped us scale in really exciting ways. And I think that's the best use case of venture capital is uh, driving more scale to a business much faster. But certainly venture capital might not necessarily be the best to use if the business doesn't have solid unit economics and a foundation to begin with. So I'm really happy you know, about when we ultimately got to pursue venture capital because it meant that we could do many more things faster and in a you know, kind of continued efficient way that would also help us reinvest back into customers even faster. And by the time we pursued venture capital, this was late 2020. And there was already a lot demonstrated. So we just were able to think much bigger. Now, a question to, uh, to follow up on that for Leah is, obviously, when, when you get uh, venture capital uh, investors or you know, customers or employees, vision is a really big one. No? Yeah. Uh, and when we're thinking about vision here, I want to ask you, if you were to go to sleep tonight, and I'm going to ask you both. Okay, we start with Leah, and then Daniel, feel free to jump in to expand as well. If you were to go to sleep tonight, Leah, and you wake up in a world where the vision of Gloss Genius is fully realized, what does that world look like? Absolutely. So, look, Danielle mentioned earlier how important it is for us enabling this you know, new wave of entrepreneurs. When I think about the big vision for Gloss Genius, it's a platform that anyone in the self-care industry can access to start, run, or grow their business and do it incredibly successfully on their own terms. Has all of the functionality, all of the utility, all of the support and partnership that a business would need to be successful. And, and I'd probably add to that, just to put it simply in my mind, you know, I think Gloss Genius in uh, a simple sense is a gateway for entrepreneurship. With a few buttons, anyone can basically succeed as an entrepreneur and we're building the best of software and payments technology and putting into the hands of anyone who wants to scale a business they have and succeed more doing things that they really love. So I'm super excited about bringing all this together. And I feel like there's just a world of opportunity we can be creating for entrepreneurs and a gateway we can help them access for success. And especially when we think about scale, because I've, I've heard you both, uh, you know, mentioning this, you know, a few times. When you think about scaling an operation like this, um, I guess, you know, this goes to you, Leah. How, how has it been the experience with Gloss Genius of, of really scaling things up and, 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 and pushing, you know, for achieving something that is more product-led type of growth? <laughs> so always, there's always new challenges, and that's uh, what makes it hard, but also makes it fun most days. You know, in terms of how it's been, I think, we always try to anchor and start with our vision and where do we want to go over a three or four year period and then try to bring that back to the present day and make sure that we're solving the most important problems and priorities to get to that three or four year longer term vision of what we want for for our customers and for the company. Um, You know, with regard to growth specifically, we've definitely evolved how we've grown. We're going to continue to evolve how we've grown. Some of the things that worked for us when we were not venture funded, you know, may not have the scale when we are venture funded and we've been evolving our our growth motions. Um, We've also been evolving as customers have pulled us into 
new areas and new industries as well. So I think the constant here has been looking, for example, at what we want to do longer term, pairing that back to the short term, but as well looking at how the world around us is changing and how we need to change quickly to stay on top of that. And you're talking about change and, and adapting. So obviously, Danielle, you are leading the chart when it comes to product and engineering. So how do you go about listening to the customer, adapting, you know, and changing, you know, also to 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 keep having that product market fit, you know, really nicely shaped up? What what does that look like? I am just obsessed with customers talking to them, learning from them, interviewing them, stalking the customer experience channel to see what they're saying to other people who are solving problems with them for them. What are they asking about? Where are they getting stuck? Really knowing the details when it comes to what customers are talking about, what they're asking about, what they need, and spending time to not just listen and learn from that, but even observe things that they might not be sharing directly. So when it kind of comes to bringing all that stuff together, I think the word to describe it is just obsession. There's no other way to build a great company and a great product that's really helping customers other than to be totally obsessed with what their needs and what their needs are and how you can solve it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you both on a journey now with my next question. I'm going to put you into a time machine. I'm going to be putting both of you into a time machine. Um, and I'm going to be bringing you back to perhaps May, I would say maybe like, yeah, so around May 2020, let's say 2015, okay? May 2015, you know, which was right around the time where, you know, the the, the idea of Gloss Genius, you know, would t- transition into really becoming a company. And let's say, you know, right there, you know, maybe around April where, where, where you were starting to incubate the thought, let's say I put you both right there in front of your younger selves. And you're able to give those younger selves, that younger Daniel, that younger Lea, one piece of advice before launching the company. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Perhaps we start with Daniel and then we'll we'll turn it to Lea. Yeah, I would say one piece of advice. I mean, many on my mind, but one of the most important things to me that I have been continuously harnessing more and more is just this idea of like listening to yourself and customers. Oftentimes, founders have this intuition that is either shaped by what they know about the market, how close they are to customers, how much time they've spent thinking about this, the patterns that they have been able to see, experience, and recognize from the very early days. And I think that intuition is extremely important and you almost in some way take it for granted when you think one thing and you kind of, uh, um, you know, kind of wait a little bit, you, you almost kind of realize your intuition was right. And one of the pieces of advice I give to my younger self is listen to yourself and harness your intuition um, much, much more than you do today. And I think this is consistently something I hear from other founders as well when we talk about um, you know, what we do a few years into starting the journey. And so it's pretty useful to be able to think about the future and using that now. But if I could go back a few years and do even more of that, man, that would be exciting. What about you, Leah? Yeah, I love what Danielle just said. You know, to add to that, I think obviously keeping to your intuition is is really important. But I would say for me, it's it's really about stay focused on the longer term. There are so many different 
vicissitudes, ups and downs in the startup journey. You know, there are so many different corners to turn. And I think as long as you can zoom out and take a look at the the forest and not stay too much in the trees, you'll understand what the trajectory of the business is, what customers want, how are you tracking to this ultimate vision for what you want to enable for those customers. So I think a, a big learning lesson here for me would have been continue to stay focused on the longer term and make sure the longer term trajectory looks the way you want it to look. So for the people that are listening that are inspired, that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so, Leah? Email, leah at glossgenius.com. What about you, Daniel? I wouldn't say email. My uh, email inbox is already pretty full. Uh, I am pretty good on LinkedIn. And uh, if there's other creative ways people could find or reach me, that would also work and be able to catch my attention. Amazing. Well, hey, both of you, thank you so very much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you, Alejandro. Thank you. What an honor. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.